Hello, beautiful people. I'm Callie, and this is season two of Girl Uninspired, the podcast where we talk about channeling our beings, finding our niche, and what we do about inspiration. Hi, welcome to episode nine. I'm here with Frank Hamrick. Hey, this is Frank Hamrick. I am a professor at the School of Design at Louisiana Tech University. I am also the MFA graduate program coordinator. Mm-hmm. And your pronouns and your sign? Uh, I go by he, his, him. Mm-hmm. Um, and my sign would be cancer, although that's not something I really keep up with. Mm-hmm. Um, can you go ahead and describe your can you go ahead and describe your job? Um, so I teach mainly photography, but also some book arts, video, and as the graduate uh, program coordinator for the MFA program, I teach a graduate seminar course where all the MFA students meet with me throughout the year each week, and we um, address issues that every designer or artist needs to know regardless of what field they're in. So it doesn't matter if you are a painter or a photographer, a ceramicist, a graphic designer, a sculptor, whatever. Um, some of the things as far as like speaking and writing about your work, uh, being you know professional practices in the field of creativity, those are things that um, I help you know shape them on. Mm-hmm. So what brought you into um, using photography as a medium? So I got my first camera when I was 10. I traded it. Uh, I had a so there used to be this thing where, like, uh, sometimes you'll see these things on television where a car dealership will say, buy a car from us and we'll pay off your trade no matter what you owe. And um, and they would have these different promotions, like if you buy a car, we'll uh, give you a trip to the Bahamas. Or one time there was just like, if you just come in and test drive a car, we'll give you a camera. So they had these things that you just like, if you just came in and drove a car, they'd give you something mm-hmm. to help get you, you know, that, to entice you to come to the dealership. And somehow my 12-year-old sister got one of those cameras. I think she got it from someone older who rode the bus and um, who was maybe like shopping around for their first car. And I had one of our grandfather's hats and she wanted it and um, so we traded the hat for the camera and I just started making photographs of the things that were around me and it sort of took off later on in high school I did um, a zine with a friend of mine and we were into going to concerts and skateboarding and things like that and so it was a way for us to document and share um, our scene I guess you would say with other people and so that was my first step into photography I took a class on it in high school and decided that I really liked it and the thing for me was that I when people ask me this sort of question is my parents some people have these parents that like force things on you like you're gonna be in the scouts or you're gonna play ball or take piano lessons and my parents didn't do any of that they were I don't want to say they were hands-off, but they didn't force those sorts of things on us. And so it was just really up to us to figure out. And so all of my peers that were playing baseball or 
learning music and things like that, I came to those sorts of things much later on, and I realized that I would never catch up with them. And so, but I, no one, no one in my circle of friends was pursuing photography and it was something that I could do and I was not in anyone's shadow. Mm -hmm. And it was also a way for me to plug myself into those things. So if some of my friends were playing a concert, I could go photograph the concert Mm -hmm. and have a role. If, you know, some of my friends were going, you know, BMX bike riding or skateboarding or something like that, then I had a role there. You know, so that's kind of how I got into it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. That's awesome. Um, So, with teaching, what would you say your teaching style is? Um, I try to share the things that have been taught to me and also the things that were not taught to me. Mm -hmm. So, um, and a classroom is always sort of like a, a lab situation, it's sort of a controlled environment. Um, but I try to pass on the things that I have learned out in the world. And I always try to uh, find something that um, the students can apply to out in the world, outside of the classroom experience, so that they can kind of see how what they're learning has a place in the world. Um, and the the analogy that I give for my teaching style, or like when, not just maybe a course, but someone who's in college, um, it's sort of like I'm I'm teaching them how to ride a bike mm-hmm. and so like here's the handles and here's the pedals and here's the brakes and here's how you change gears and so mm-hmm. it's the same way like when someone's taking a photography class it'll be like this is how the lens works this is how the shutter works this is how these things come together this is some things to think about but in the end um, you get them going and then you take your hands off of the you know the the bike or the camera or whatever and you say okay I've given you this tool that you can use and it's up to that person to continue using it and but they can use it in any way they want to and so some and you're going anyone is going to um, you know fall at some point but it's up to them to get back up and keep pedaling it's not just like if I let go of the of the bike and they just kind of like coast to an end and fall over and they'll be like this bike is dumb this bike is broke you know, <laughs> you know but it's like I've given them a skill set that can take them wherever they want to go. Mm-hmm. Is kind of the way I see it. Like you, you teach someone how to ride a bike, they can ride that bike wherever. It's like you teach someone how to use a camera, they can use that camera for whatever purpose they want. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the most enjoyable part of your work? As a, you mean as an educator? As an educator. So um, I would I would say seeing people's growth and mm-hmm. when they sort of take off, and sometimes that growth. You can see it immediately, and for some people, it's a much slower growth. That um, sometimes you see it when someone new comes in to the to the program, and that student that you've been working with for a while is sharing their experiences. They may be like, "Yeah, man, I used to think everybody was being hard on me about my photographs, but then I learned, you know." And so you see how they grew in maturity about that situation. And I've also had people sometimes even years after graduating from college, you know, cross paths with me or write to me and just talk about how over time they realize what they learned in school was usually something more subtle Mm -hmm. than what they thought they were there for, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. And so obviously 
you know, with photography, photography is kind of a subject in and of itself. But what would you say is, like, your favorite part of teaching photography? Um, this favorite thing about... Or, like, your favorite, one of your favorite lessons to cover. Oh, man. I don't even know, like, what would I would say is a favorite lesson, but I think it's more about, like, seeing, understanding how um, a technique can, or a, a, a viewpoint can convey an idea. So, like... Um, you've been in a class with me and we've studied things like subjective point of view and forced perspective where like you, you establish a character and then you take on that character's point of view or how you can make it look like something, you know, with, with forced perspective, you're making something in the foreground look like something in the background or coming together. And you're, it's about like that person learning how uh, the mechanics of the camera or um or just even knowing where to position themselves mm-hmm. can can communicate an idea if that makes sense so um whereas the thing i say is um anyone can take pictures like we're we're in a, we're living in a society now where everyone takes pictures because everyone has a device that will record images um but i don't necessarily say that is the same as making photographs Mm -hmm. of being really in control of what you're doing and having the same sort of intention and so I think for me is like getting I say people don't if you want to know how your camera works just read the manual if you want to know how photography works take a course Mm -hmm. and seeing people um, where they actually know how to use the camera and themselves and communicate that idea a lot of times uh images fall flat because people don't really know how to like get those get that idea across mm-hmm. yeah when i signed up to take photography it was more so because it was um it was a course i needed to take mm-hmm. and it was interesting because before then i had kind of stayed in the realm of painting mm-hmm. and hadn't explored like photography and used it as a medium like I knew it was a thing and I knew that it was um like there are other artists that use it as a medium but it never occurred to me that it was something I could use and so it's really interesting like having a camera and then learning how like it worked and then taking that and applying it and using it to tell like a story right and and the thing I remember was when you were in the class was how much you you took risk and put yourself out there um to to make some really engaging photographs and then the thing I also remember was one day we were looking at um someone else's photographs and you you got in you took on this sort of character when you were talking about you said how it was it was something that um signified local here in in the south and you said I can see people would they would like that because they understand it. They're familiar with it. It's not foreign to them, and and they're like, "I'm from here," and and that and that that's from here, and I I get it, <laughs> you know. And it was this moment of you being able to see why a particular audience would connect with a with a certain imagery, mm-hmm. and that was like. I can't remember what you're talking about. <laughs> was it the peach? 
it was it was something like that. It was like peaches and vegetables and stuff like that. It was just like agrarian type thing. Okay, that's cool. Um, what what do you hope? Obviously, you want your students to be able to like work a camera and mm-hmm. be able to. You said you liked um, the like visual growth of like seeing a student grow. Mm-hmm. What do you hope students take away from your class? I hope that they are able to apply it to whatever situation they go into. So like every student that comes through this program for studio arts or graphic design takes at least beginning photography. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those people I'll see later on in a video course or a history of photography course or some sort of upper level thing. Um, but I hope that even if they're like, well, I'm going to be a sculptor or I'm going to be a designer, that they don't dismiss what they're learning in the class because it will be useful to them later on. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important for people to always keep in mind, um, how can I use this? How How is this not like questioning it, but being open to it? Because I think I, I, I remember, you know, being in school with people that are like, taking geometry or something like that or biology and they're like man it's dumb well, I'm gonna be I ain't never gonna use this and yeah. so it's just like you know or it's like oh my god why am I here you know and it's just like um it's like if you if you're if you're in a geometry class or whatever an ele- art elective here and you say I'm never going to use this you're kind of amputating your career in a way by by saying I am going to not pursue any routes that would require me to know this and um I remember the first like clock in photo job I had was when I was an undergrad and I had taken this class and I had learned how to do this one thing and I was like man I'm never gonna do this again like I did not enjoy it at the time and when I went to apply for the job they're like can you do this task and I was like yes yes I can (laughs) and um and you know I got a job because I knew how to do that thing and it's something that I try to pass on to people now and it's something that is actually a part of my own like personal artwork and Mm -hmm. it's like oh I'm glad I learned that thing that at the time I thought I'm never going to use this once this assignment's over and now I use it regularly Mm -hmm. and so because I think with this may be kind of wandering off a little bit from your question but I think um, our uh, careers are these going to be these meshing together of various skill sets and mm-hmm. more and more in the future where we'll have to know a little bit of all these different things and, and for some people even like making their own career paths because um, like someone of my grandmother's generation if if like they could type they had a job. They said, like, because not everyone knew how a typewriter worked. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know how to work that thing? All right. You just type on that thing and answer the phone if it rings. You got a job for the rest of your career. Mm-hmm. You know, and now that's something that you learn probably in high school, you know, or maybe even before then. Yeah. And it's just expected, like, you, you, you know how to type, whether you're going to be a teacher or a real estate agent or whatever. And I think photography is becoming more that way so it's like if you're a real estate agent like okay you're going to need images to like show 
uh, a house or a property or whatever and make it look good as best as it can mm -hmm. and, and represent like this is what it looks like. And so I can imagine someone who maybe in the past they didn't need to know that skill. Maybe now they're expected to like, mm -hmm. can you make a photograph of these properties that you're trying to rent or sell? And so I think photography will become more and more of a skill set that is expected of different career paths. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that people, no matter what they're coming in for, if they're going to be a sculptor, it's like, okay, well, you're going to have to photograph your sculptures, you know, so put them on your website and mm -hmm. people see them. If you're going to have, even if you're a graphic designer and you're collaborating with a professional photographer, it's going to be helpful if you under, you're able to speak the same language and talk about, you know, depth of field, different perspectives and things like that, rather than being like, that thing there with the way that, uh, you know, she's kind of fuzzy back there. I don't really understand what's going on. We need her to not be fuzzy. You know, that you can speak about it intelligently. Mm -hmm. I think something that I took away from your class um, that has helped me was thinking critically about the work that I produce mm -hmm. and actively asking questions while going through the process of making something. So... Um, I was take I was also taking a drawing class at the time, and comparing the critiques of the two was very interesting because, like, I remember thinking that the critiques I had in my drawing class were very soft, and they didn't really give me points on like what to change the next time I worked on. But um, I don't know. Being in your class was definitely helpful of like thinking critically and like getting outside of myself to look at a piece of work. Yeah, and and I don't I don't know like what was uh, um, the assignments in the drawing class, but some some of those sorts of things like especially if you're in a classroom and you're given a still life or a person or a thing like draw this, go out in this hallway, stand here, you know you're learning certain very specific techniques and and skill sets, and the same thing happens in photography, but there's also with photography you get that camera, and I say go out this weekend and make a make a you know a series about something and you come back and it's there's that questioning of like okay tell us why you chose to photograph this thing tell us why you chose to photograph it the way you did mm -hmm. you know because you know kind of going back to what I was saying earlier the world is full of pictures we don't really need any more pictures you know we need photographs that are going to give us pause and make us think about things and it's a it's a photography is definitely a voice for people and I think it's it's um, it's it's something that while you're here, you get to work on and kind of sharpen that skill. Mm -hmm. So, can we talk about some of your successes that you've had with photography? Sure. Okay. So, um, I guess there's like things that like I can point to and put on paper, mm -hmm. and maybe talk a little bit of like why that's important. Um, so, a few years ago, I was in an exhibition at the Ammon Carter Museum of American Art in Fort Worth. And I didn't even know I was in the exhibition. Um, I had a colleague from another uh, university over in Texas send me this message like, oh, I took my class to the museum and it was really cool to like point to a piece of work on the wall and be like, I know this artist, you know, and, and uh, you can go check his work out at this, you know, site or whatever. And I was like, what are you talking about? And uh, they're like, oh, you're in the 
Amer the 150 years of American photography show. And I was like, really? <laughs> and so I like, had to like write to the museum and be like, am I on this show? And they're like, oh, yeah, we were meant to tell you about that. We're going to send you a letter in the mail. Sorry, we didn't get that to you. <laughs> yeah, you're in the show. And um, so it was this. So the Ammon Carter Museum in Fort Worth has a huge photography collection. They're respected mm -hmm. for their photography collection. And... Um, I had been showing them my work over a period of time, so like I, I was able to set up a meeting with their curator, and this is, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. It was kind of one of those things where like in 2010, <laughs> I, you know, met with him for the first time, and he was like, why do you want to meet with me? And I said, so, so, uh, well, I said, I want you to be aware of my work in case there's ever a time that you are putting together an exhibition here or elsewhere or if my work is ever appropriate for the museum's collection and I just wanted you to look at my work and be on your radar and he says okay and so he looked at the work and he talked about what he liked what he didn't like you know and it may be sometimes like you know the order of images in a book or if I put a statement before the images or after the images or if it was just standalone prints on the table and so I did that and then a year later or so I met with him again I was like hey I've got some more work I've, I listened to what you said and I showed it to him and he gave me some more feedback and then a few years went by and I had to go to Dallas to get on a plane and there was a delay or there was going to be some wait time and I said hey would you like to meet I have some work I could show and he says yes and so we met up and he started um, pushing certain pieces forward and I had laid out all this work and I'd started making ten types and he picked out about a half dozen and I had a book of some of the ten types and he said send me images of these he says we have a benefactor who buys work for the museum he might be interested in something and so I sent him the images and then they narrowed it down to one handmade book of photographs and one particular um, ten type image that was of I used to live um, across from the Marshall for our area and I made a photograph of him and um, and it was kind of like it was kind of a um, a failure in a way as far as a piece because it didn't do what I expected it to do but it was still kind of like well that's not what I was trying to do but it's really maybe better than what I was trying to do mm -hmm. because the light changed I think like the sun went behind a cloud and um, and all you could see was his his like he had this sort of cowboy hat and you couldn't, you knew there was a face there, but you couldn't really see it, and you could just kind of barely make out his badge. Mm -hmm. So he became, instead of it being like, here's a here's a portrait of this specific person, it became more of an archetype of the sort of like, you know, the frontier lawman, you know, and and so, in the this particular museum has. Um, is kind of on the frontier where Texas kind of starts to become open plain and desert and so that's kind of their mission is like have that sort of work and and so they settled on that piece and they bought it and they bought the book and that was really great to have my work in a museum but then like some time went by and this exhibition happened and then it also was up when we took some of the grad students there so they got to see that and um, it was in a show with people like Ansel Adams and Diane Arbus and Gregory Crutzen. So it was like that felt really good to be 
in the same room with the people that are in the history book, you know, the examples Mm -hmm. that we show in class and watch documentaries on. And so, um, so that was a a big achievement. And, um, another achievement would be, um, I've been on some album covers. I've had some of my images used on album covers. And so that was, um, that's been really satisfying. And, And those two are these things that come about over a long period of time. We're like, you meet these people and you say, hey, how's it going? And then uh, some cases you get to know them. In some cases you make a photograph. And sometimes it's not always clear that it's going to be uh, an album cover. And then some, sometimes out of the blue they're like, hey, uh, uh, call us right now. Here's our <laughs> phone number. you know. And so that happened um, a few years ago with a group called the Dave Rawlings Machine. Um, out of Nashville and the Gillian Welch is probably the, the most prominently known member of that group consist, who's consistently part of that group it's her partner Dave Rawlings is the front man for that and I made a, a tintype of, of their band in uh, the backyard of a mutual friend and a year went by and then all of a sudden they needed an, a, an image for their album cover because they had had a photographer come in and he had made photographs but he didn't have one image of everyone together Mm -hmm. and I had this image from a year ago and it was them like in their stage outfits and Dave Rollins had his guitar so it was like oh this works and they're like can we use that for our album covers like yes yes you can and then they had me come up and do um, an image to go with the back cover and so having those things where um, and that became like besides the album cover it was on a t-shirt it was on a you know, I think it was on their concert posters in some places. So I had, like, a former professor of mine that's out in Arizona now, like, make this photograph of, like, the concert poster in front of the theater and being like, hey, here's your image, you know. And it, that went out to um, everywhere around the world, and it was for an album called uh, Nashville Obsolete. And they were talking about how the way that they make records is not the way that most people in Nashville make records now. Mm -hmm. And so they felt like my image made with a 19th century process went conceptually really well with what that album's theme was about. And so there were times where they would be maybe doing an interview at a radio station in Seattle or somewhere in the Northeast and the the DJ would ask them about the the album cover and they'd say like what is that and they'd say like, oh that's a tent type our friend Frank Hamrick made that of us and so um, having having artists that you respect you know um, speaking well about your work that is that feels really good because that was mm-hmm. someone that you would be like I'd be like oh it'd be cool to work with them one day you yeah know? and then it happens mm-hmm. so those are a couple of examples. I I have, like, there's a particular artist that, like, I would love to just work with her, but, like, it's, so, so I can, like, just understand what you mean of, like, having those people and actually working with them and then them speaking positive of your work is just, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk about maybe some mentors that you've had and how they've, like, influenced your career? Sure. Um, I think they they've kind of shown up without like they don't walk into the room and being like I am going to teach you you know <laughs> it's just like uh, I will show you the way it's it's more like 
you cross paths with these people and you find yourself gravitating back towards them. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, it's like, you know, you may have finished like whatever the reason is, but then you like circle back to that person again. So like, um, one person that I would I would credit as a mentor would be a, a printmaker named Jim Sheradden up in Tennessee. And um, he was he was the guy that put me in touch with with Gillian and Dave. He had been a neighbor of theirs back before they were um, well known, and so um, he he for thirty plus years ran a letterpress print shop in downtown Nashville that uh, did a lot of concert posters for like whether it was country music or rap or rock and roll or blues or anything, and. Um, I did an internship there um, about a year after moving to Louisiana. I, I walked into this place. There was a I was in Nashville for a photo conference, and I took a day off from the conference because I'd heard about this place. It's like, I need to go see it. And I walked in, and there was um, it was like a downtown store, like narrow and deep. And the first 10 feet of it was retail space. And then there was a counter. And then everything beyond that was production space, just like like being in a studio. And I saw these people, like, they're making prints and they're mixing up ink. And it's all, like, really beautiful and cool. And you're seeing band names. And you're like, I know that guy. That's a cool band. She's cool. I like the way she sings. You know? and, and I went up and I asked the person at the counter I said how do I get on that side how do I get on the producer side rather than the consumer side and they and they said well people you write a letter put together a portfolio of your work we've had people come in here and intern before and so I I applied for that and I went in and did a summer internship and the first week I was there um the the this guy was on vacation mm-hmm. and uh and it was around Memorial Day and um they for the memorial day they gave all the interns a ticket to, to go see an exhibit at the um country music hall of fame and um they had a exhibit on ray charles and uh so i went and did that they were kind of like this is your day off like go see the city here's some you know free stuff to go see and so i went and saw that and i came back by the print shop and um and i had I was seeing all this stuff in Nashville. Like, there's times where you get down through Nashville, and it's like every bar, there's like some band in there playing like the same Merle Haggard song. You can like almost, you're just like walking down the street and you hear the song mm-hmm. continuously by like eight different voices. And I came up with this story in my head, and I walked in to the print shop, and I walked up to this the woman at the counter, and I, I went into this like, I know I'm Southern, but I went into this more Southern voice where I was like, I'll tell you something. I'll ask about something. And she's like, all right. And I said, my brother is graduating from high school. And we're really proud of him because he's the first one in our family to go all the way. And um, I was down the street at the gift shop. I got one of them Tubby Keith cowboy hats. And um, and I got me one of those uh, camouflage bandanas. I'm going to put it on there make it the hat band. Mm-hmm. I want y'all to go back up there and uh, mix up some of y'all's hunter orange ink and i want y'all to print on there on that on that bandana just so when i make it in a hat band it says the south is gonna do it again mm-hmm. and i'm telling this to her and there's this older man behind the 
the the counter at a desk and he's just kind of keeping an eye on me being like who the hell is this guy and um and the woman just rolled with it. her name was Kathy and she said well sir uh we're all we're all busy right now but we do have an open press back here why don't you just come back here and print it yourself mm-hmm. and I was like show enough thank you so much and I started to walk back there and this man jumps up he's like we can't no he's <laughs> like Kathy you can't be just letting people come off the street and <laughs> print stuff and He's like, you can't, you can't print on a bandana. It's just not going to tear up the machine and all that stuff. And she's like, I think it's a great idea. You know, it's just like, I think you just let it just try it. You know, and they just keep going back and forth. And then finally it comes out that, like, I reveal, like, I am I am not really this guy who wants to print this out. He's going to do it again on a camouflage bandana to put on a Toby Keith cowboy hat uh-huh. to give to my brother being the first person in my family to graduate from high school uh-huh. um, and they said this is actually our new intern he, <laughs> he showed up while you were gone on vacation and then after that like we got along great because I had like fooled him you know he really thought because I, I know how I look and I'm, it's believable that I could be a guy from a family that you know that has one person in their family that's graduated from high school even mm-hmm. though that's not true so we got along and he's um he was someone I talk I kind of say it in this way of like you have these people that are further up the mountain than you I kind of talk about like your career as an artist it's like being on a you know like the world is a sphere and it's like you never really get to the top because it's always turning mm-hmm. <laughs> you know but you you get to these points where you're ahead of someone else or someone else is ahead of you and they can kind of like give you some guidance mm-hmm. they can be like watch out that rock's loose you know yeah. grab hold of that tree you know and so Jim um, he's like 20 years older than me so he was someone who even though he's not a photographer he's a printmaker and he's in a different city he could kind of give me some advice he'd be like well when I did something that was similar to this this is how it came out or this is what I learned this is how it worked or how it didn't work so that's been um, he's been a valuable mentor for me in that case that's awesome well thanks um, do you want to talk about, do you have any, like, current projects that you're working on right now? Or any, like, future projects that you hope to start? Okay. So, um, the project that I've been working on, and it's a, it's a limited edition handmade book that's out right now. is called, it's a book about water. And it was called It Was There All Along. And so, the past two years, I've been making ten types um, that address water in some way, and that could be the ocean, a river, a stream, it could be uh, a water tower, a levee along a river, or a flood wall, um, a dam, anything like that. And so, and that came about um, at first a couple of summers ago. I was like, I really don't know what I want to make a body of work about. And then I told one friend, I was like, the only thing I can think of is that I. I want to photograph creeks for some reason and they said you should just go with that just do it until you figure out why and mm-hmm. um, and then I just felt I had this real interest in water and part of that was because there's so much stuff going on right now whether it's coastal erosion or there's fires in some places that because they don't have enough water or drought and other places are flooding and so there's a sort of um, uh, unequal distribution of water right now and that's kind of just a thing whenever there's a flood somewhere there's usually a drought somewhere else and also my mom's side of the family are water well drillers so mm-hmm. I grew up like in the summers or winter vacations going and helping my grandfather and my uncles 
um, drill wells or fix people's wells, whether it was like a home or a farm or a business. And so I've kind of always understood growing up that water doesn't just like come out of the faucet and then go down the drain and that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. That there's a long story before and after that and it's a cycle. And so that's what the the most recent work has been about. Um, and so I've I've got I've exhibited that work at a museum in Georgia this past summer. The book came out this fall. It's gotten into some different um, university uh, special collections libraries, and it will be exhibited. Um, some of the work will go to a, a venue outside of Athens, Georgia, this summer, and another batch of the work will go to Belmont University in Nashville um, during a. Um, Tennessee Arts Teachers Conference that they, they're hosting this summer. And I will go to both those places and give talks and probably some sort of workshop. Right now, during the school year, I am usually I usually do these sort of minor um, experiments and investigations. So like this, this past Thanksgiving break, I was uh, exposing clear vinyl records onto colored metal um most tin types are on black metal but i was like what happens if i expose onto blue or red or orange and so it was just in some cases it's just like i don't know let's just see what finds out and it's in some cases it's like that's not what i expected but that's that doesn't mean it's bad it's just different and i'm also doing some things with like um bookmaking and handmade paper where i'm experimenting with color and how colors go together it i think a lot of times photographers we just go out in the world and like this table we're sitting at is kind of like a dark red and we're just like okay it's red you know whereas like painters are making a choice of like okay which tube do I you know reach for how do I mix that with something else and then apply it onto the canvas or the panel Mm -hmm. and so I'm trying to I think I'm learning and experimenting with color in a way that kind of pushes me beyond like the sort of um way that I know it as a photographer if that makes sense because mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm making a book cover and it's all these little strips of color and it's like well does that blue go with this red or does it cancel each other out and I think coming up if I what I would like to do in the is I would like to go on a trip down a river and make images along the way and I would I don't know if I'll be able to do this um if it if I can dedicate the time and know how and do it and live uh, like survive it and mm-hmm. be able to do it legally when the time comes up but probably not this summer but the following summer I would like to travel uh, down the Rio Grande and um, because I went to grad school in New Mexico uh, in New Mexico State, which is near the U.S.-Mexican border, mm-hmm. and the thing about like most people know the Rio Grande because it's it divides Texas from Mexico, but it also like when it when the the Rio Grande divides New Mexico in half, and so it kind of comes down through the entire state. And so when I was living there, there would be times where it would be like completely dry. It's the biggest river in New Mexico, and sometimes it's completely dry. Mm-hmm. And other times it would have water flowing through it, but it would be all this really foamy because it would be like um, have all this agricultural runoff, like pesticides and fertilizer and stuff. And um, but I'm kind of curious about uh, traveling the the part of it that goes between Mexico and Texas mm-hmm. um, because you know you're hearing more and more in the news about. 
um, fences and walls and we're going to cut off this area and um, to, to limit migration and the thing that I'm kind of see it is it, one it's a it's an ecological disaster because it gets in the way of, of animals migrating um, but I feel like if if that ha- happens or continues to happen it's kind of like part of the country is being amputated off you know it's mm-hmm. like we're going to take that digit on your finger and just you know cut, <laughs> cut that off you know and so I'm curious about seeing that part of the country hopefully while I can mm-hmm. and hopefully making some images to share with other people and be like hey <laughs> this is part of our nation and um do you really want to like cut ourselves off from it and make it this sort of like militarized zone where no one no one can be there um because i've i've visited some of that uh, some of those places and they're really beautiful and mm-hmm. um i think it would be it would be you know this great life experience if i could travel down part of it in a canoe or a raft or something and make some images and and not die doing it <laughs> um but that's kind of something uh, down the road I'm hoping to work towards and I've talked with a friend of mine in Texas who um, does these overnight trips down ri- rivers and so I may do some like test runs on other rivers to kind of like what's it like to have to carry camping gear in, mm-hmm. a, in a boat and not like flip over and lose everything yeah so and especially like thinking about your camera and like waterproofing it yeah in some sort of way yeah and if and if I do that in a way like if I actually like travel down the river Instead of doing ten types, I would probably have to carry some smaller uh, camera setup, whether it's a film camera or digital camera, you mm-hmm. know. And if I did ten types, it would be more like a thing of like driving to driving into particular locations. But I think it would be it would be a more enriching experience to be able to tra- actually travel down the river mm-hmm. for part of it. So how did you how did you get into ten types? Um, I had a student here years ago who was try- who had he he came to school as a grad student and he wanted to do it and um, no one here had made a tintype and he was making these things and they were not successful and so I decided over a winter break that I would order a kit and learn how to do it so that I could show him and I could so that I could figure out like why is why is this not working for him and so I bought this kit. And I made some images while I was home in Georgia visiting family, and I like okay, I got it. And and um, and I brought it back, and I showed them, I showed all the the grad students at that time how to do it. And the guy says, "Oh, that's how you do it." Okay. And then he never did it after that. <laughs> he just like it was like he's just like oh I, now I understand you know, but he never pursued it. But by that point, I had bought all this stuff, and I was interested in it because it's. Um, each one, like you're talking about painting, is kind of like a painting in the way that it's a one of a kind. Mm-hmm. You know, most like photographs today, it's like, you know, you can email them everywhere or you can make a, as many prints of it as you want to. But with a tintype, it's a one of a kind. And, um, and it's a slow process. And so it records time in a different way. Then, like, we, must, we, we think of photography as, like, that, like, the split second, and that is photography. Mm-hmm. But photography can also be this longer, you know, span of time. And that's what a tintype captures because it's, it may range from a second to minutes. 
and, and the exposure. And, um, and then when you only have one of them, it feels much more precious, you know? And so, and then if I'm working with a person, then I have uh, photographing them, then I have that experience, you know, whereas like someone could make a photograph of a portrait of you with their smartphone very quickly mm -hmm. and it might be done and gone, you know, whereas if it's like, this might take an hour, might take a few hours to get this right, you know, to get something we're both happy with. And then you have that time together. The same thing, even if you're like working in the landscape or with a still life. Um, you have you're much more invested in that thing. So you, rather than it's like okay, let me let me wait five seconds. Let me take this picture with my phone. Okay, got it. We can keep walking. Where it's like I'm gonna set up camp here, and, <laughs> you know, set up a dark room, and I'm gonna be here all afternoon. It's like you're much more selective of like what you choose to photograph, and mm -hmm. how and how you choose to photograph it. And so that's the sort of thing that brought me in, especially as photography has become increasingly accessible to everyone it's like okay how do I do something that is different inherently different from everyone else's image making mm -hmm. so do you have any advice um, for the listener so I would say regardless of what you you know you don't have to be a photographer to take this advice um, don't be an asshole um, you know you're going to meet people again and they will um, don't be surprised if they're in some position of power where they could have an impact um, on your life or your career. Um, and, and that was, and that's something I've, I've felt and I've said to a lot of, a lot of people, but I was, I was reading a book over the break and it was a musician who had been in a band and he was, he said something very similar. He said, you don't have to be best friends with everybody. Just try not to make people hate you. Um, mm -hmm. He said, because like he was in, this guy was in a band with another with a, a bandmate who was very volatile and some days could be like really cool and other days could be like get out of here you know mm -hmm. and you know would say the wrong things to people at a radio station or a venue or a reporter from a magazine and and this guy would be like trying to talk to his bandmate being like these people like what we do and they they help us do what we do and mm -hmm. be able to continue doing this so like try not to just like anger everybody because it's like they don't just get mad at you they get mad at all of us mm -hmm. <laughs> you know and so um and that's the thing like you know to think about like whether you're part of an artist group or you work for a business or you're with a you know any sort of organization it's like you reflect on that thing um manage your time well try to like think about like um don't get too sucked up in like social media or television or things like that because I think it's like what having something you can look back on at the end of the day or the end of the year I don't think you're going to like go man like oh man that time that day I got to spend all day scrolling through social media that was such a special day you know whereas you might be like that day we went to the Grand Canyon or that day uh, that day you know that person had with their grandparents before they died They're, those are the things that are going to stick out and you know you'll remember and value so kind of think about how you use your time be good to people um that's one of those things that like i feel like you, you give me like here's your moment pass it on and i'll be like well what else <laughs> could i say um You'll have to edit out all this stuff. You're good, you're good. <laughs>
be, treat people the way you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Do you have any questions, like for me? Um, sure. I'm. I'm just kind of curious about like what made you decide to want to do this. Uh, like, I'm going to start a podcast and put this out, and this is the this is what I'm going to ask people, and these are the people I'm going to interview. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think there's a lot to learn from other people, mm-hmm. um, and I want like I sometimes get stuck in. Like, I have an idea and I never follow through with it. Or I have an idea and I go halfway with it and never, like, actually finish it. And so this is something that, like, I grew up listening to radio. My dad was really, um, like, influential with listening to radio. And I really love listening to podcasts. And I, I don't know. I feel like I have a lot of questions to ask other people. And I like I like recording. I like being able to like go back and listen to something again and see how like time has changed something. Yeah. And that's interesting because it's you're doing something that it's it gives you a voice and it gives and then the people that you you bring on to interview it gives them mm-hmm. a voice. So you're kind of creating this outlet that's in you know it's this modern day version of like. You know, you've got whether it's you want to call it a radio station or a newspaper or magazine. It's like you have mm-hmm. this little thing, and you can put this out there into the world, and you know, spotlight your own interests, and then the people that may, you are, uh, you know about that you're like, hey y'all, like meet this person. Sort yeah, of thing. and it's I think it's also cool because I get like I really value human connection, um, and being able to like relate to other people, mm-hmm. and. Like, by doing this, I, because I feel like I know a lot of really awesome people, and I want, like, to get to know them better, but also to be able to share that experience with other people, mm-hmm. and I just, I, I also really like talking, so. Okay. And do you, um, are there people that you listen to, like, do you ever listen to, like, Fresh Air, or other people, like, to, do you um, listen to see how, like, other people have conversations or conduct interviews yeah so um I really like listening to a lot of different podcasts um you know you have like the podcasts that are mainly like funny podcasts and then informational and then kind of the in between it's also a really easy way to like get into a subject without feeling like a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. so I don't know usually there's a fear of starting something new because of like you might mess it up and with this it was like I didn't like my voice and I was kind of awkward with having conversations and so it's it's something I put off for a long time because I didn't want it to I didn't want to fail because I don't think most people like failing and so I've like learned that it doesn't have to be perfect it just has to like be done yeah and and the thing I would say is like in some cases it's um failing is better than doing nothing mm-hmm. you know if you're if you're learning and a lot of times like we we learn from failure hopefully you know and then we go and apply it to the next thing and some people it's like some people do nothing they never act on their desires or their 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 curiosity or interest and you know but you you went beyond that you're like okay I'm going to try so I'm going to do a podcast and get over my voice Mm -hmm. and and then you didn't like 
listen, do one and then listen back to be like, oh my God, no, I can't put this out in the world. It's like, <laughs> so like you're, you said like, this is episode nine of this season. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, like look at all this sort of progress that you're making. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, you know, and part of that is just like getting over a hang up. You know, I'm sure like if I listen back to my voice, I'll be like, oh God, you know, but. <laughs> Most people, they, they think that at like the very beginning and then like they like go through the episode and they're like, yeah, like that's, I agree. Yeah. And, and I think in most cases, people aren't listening to us for the timbre of our voice. They're listening mm-hmm. to us for like, what are we actually talking about? Mm-hmm. And also like, like I, right now this is just something that I'm kind of doing for fun. It's mm-hmm. kind of taught me time management of like, okay, this is something I want to do. So I have to make time to do this. But also like Nick has told me that this is something that could play out for me in the future. And, like, I don't see where that could lead, but I see how, I see how that's a possibility. So, like, in your class, uh, when we did self-portraits, I took a picture of, like, my hand, like, coming out of a dumpster. Mm -hmm. And that's actually the cover photo for this, like, series. Because I just think, like, I don't know, that's an image that stuck with me. It's like, I really like how that one came out, even though I wasn't planning it. Yeah, and I think that's, like, every, all these things, if if you stick with something not like you'd say you have to stick with podcasts forever but Mm -hmm. if you stick around long enough all these experiences they they pay off and Mm -hmm. so like I can see how whether it was um working with my my uncles and grandfather drilling wells I can see how that formed an impression on me Mm -hmm. you know like when I was in college I got to be a DJ on the college radio station I can see how having that that zine when I was 17 years old making photographs of of friends or writing stories about it pays off now Mm -hmm. you know like in in those things that sometimes there's like these breaks it's not continuous it's like there's these year-long gaps or years long you know but then like later on you're like oh I can use that experience now Mm -hmm. it's useful and like um like professor nicole duet like her background is in theater mm-hmm. and so i can really tell a difference like when i see her talk to a class of how she's really able to be a great public speaker mm-hmm. whereas you know not not every professor has that sort of background and you can tell like okay she's not up on a stage playing Macbeth or whatever Shakespeare play mm-hmm. she's in the classroom but all that experience pays off and I think we we all if if we you know stick around long enough we see how all these experiences uh that we've had uh later on have have a purpose yeah yeah that's really cool um do you have any last thoughts to say uh I would say I just want to say thanks for for you doing this oh thank you and I mean thanks for including me in but I'm just glad to see that you're doing this because I you know some people like they come in and they go to class and they do their work and that's it and so it's like oh hey you're you've got this thing that you're doing and putting out in the world and you're kind of finding your niche thank you so thanks for doing this um do you have do you have um I know you have a website and any like social media where the listener can go find your work Okay, yeah, so my website is, is Frank Hamrick, and my last name is like Ham and Rick put together, mm-hmm. H-A-M-R-I-C-K. And then uh, on uh, Instagram, uh, my handle is Frank Hamrick Art. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's probably the best place to see 
uh, other things that are going on right now. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being included. And um, yeah, thank you. All right. Thank you. And thanks for listening. Hey, lovelies. You just listened to an episode of the Girl Uninspired podcast. Thank you so much for your time and for your support in my journey with this podcast. If you like it, you can follow us on Instagram at the Girl Uninspired Podcast. There's an underscore in between every single word. Um, and if you have any comments, questions, or material, you're more than welcome to message us or email me at CallieKRobbins3 at gmail.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-E. R-O-B-B-I-N-S-3 at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to me. Bye.